Welcome to Access Utah. I'm Tom Williams. In this age of smartphones, work doesn't necessarily end when you leave the office. For many, there's an expectation that you should be available after hours. Germany is considering legislation that would ban employers from contacting workers after office hours. Labor Minister Andrea Nahles says there is an undeniable relationship between constant availability and the increase of mental illness. And what about work-life balance in general? Entrepreneur and mother of three, Inga Geerdens, writing in LinkedIn, says, I don't need a balance. I'm not looking for a way to balance my private life and my professional life. I'm just trying to have a great life. Well, we're asking you what you think. We hope that you'll respond to the program. Tell us about your work and how you balance everything, especially with the explosion of technology. Uh, the number is 1-800-826-1495, 1-800-826-1495. You can join us on our Facebook page, on Twitter, we're at Utah Public Radio, and our email is upraxcess at gmail.com. We're going to talk about work-life balance, tethering, relationship between workplace and family happiness-related issues with a panel we assembled several months ago when we were discussing telecommuting, and uh, they're all back with us. Kathy Chudaba, Associate Professor of Management Information Systems in the Huntsman School at USU, is with us in studio. Welcome to the program. Good morning. Thanks for coming in. Meredith Ferguson, Assistant Professor of Management uh, in the USU Huntsman School of Business, is with us on telephone. Uh, Welcome to the program. Thank you. Uh, and uh, Jenna Francis, uh, president of UtahBaseSteels.com, is with us as well. Thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me. And Rhett Clevenger, who is CEO of, uh, of Steels.com, is with us. Thank you. You bet. Thank you. Uh, so first of all, remind us, uh, uh, Jenna, what, what is Steels.com? What do you do? So Steels.com is a collection of daily deal websites for women. And every day at 9 a.m. and 9 p.m. at Steels.com, there are four new steels up at 50% off until it sells out. And we have babysteals.com, kidsteals.com, scrapbooksteals.com, and shesteals.com. All right. Business is good? Business is good, yes. Uh, tell us about your workforce. You have, a, I think, a, a you know, small group of employees. Yeah, we have about 35 employees here in Salt Lake City, Utah. And uh, 70% of our staff are women, and um, most of those women are our mothers, and uh, it's interesting because the topic today relates a lot to, you know, what I see our employees going through as well. Let me start with uh, with Meredith Ferguson on on this idea of tethering this this idea that uh, some employers expect you to be um, at the ready next to your smartphone phone or your computer at, at all hours. Um, Andrea Nahles, uh, the uh, labor minister in Germany, says she sees a uh, relationship between constant availability and increase of mental illness. I don't know about that specific question, but uh, Meredith Ferguson, you have you, you've studied tethering a bit, I believe. That's right. Well, I don't know that we have any research, um, empirical research yet on, on the connection between that and mental illness, um, at least, you know, diagnoses and things like that. Uh, what we do know is that being constantly tethered to work and not having the opportunity to we call psychologically detached, to quit thinking about work and focus on family or, or leisure um, activities or volunteering um, leads to emotional exhaustion, which can often lead to things like depression. Uh, so, the, so there is some, some evidence of, of some negative effects anyway. Absolutely, yes. Actually, what uh, research some colleagues and I um, at Baylor University and Texas A&M University have indicate that constantly being tethered to work um, leads to an interference between work and family that um, affects not only the employee but their spouse, um, leads to spousal resentment towards the organization, um, burnout for um, the employee, and then those things together kind of work to lead the couple to say, you know, why, are, why, why is the employee still working there? Maybe it's time to look for, for another place to, to engage. So this could have effects on the company as well. Absolutely, yes. Uh, replacing employees is very expensive. It's uh, it's a huge distraction. Um, so yes, a lot of organizations put pressures on employees to constantly be connected. But what they don't appreciate is that they are actually diminishing their own resources by um, encouraging employees to start looking elsewhere. And you know, a burned out employee is not going to be a productive employee either. So even if they can't get a job somewhere else, you know, the, the economy is in a bad way, or um, they're in a situation where it's hard for them to. To jump employers, they may hang around, but um, not be particularly productive. Red Clevenger, I want to direct this question to you. Um, do you I don't know what your policy is there at steels.com. Do you expect uh, 
employees to be available after hours? Do you have sort of rotating hours? I, I know in you know, software it can, can be a little more flexible, you might say, or can spill over into non-office hours. Yeah, for us being an online company, you know, it never turns off. It never stops. So you, you certainly have to, um, you know, uh, keep that in mind uh, working in this field. But, um, you know, the, the thing uh, for us is that uh, being able to take your work home with you, all of our employees have laptops and smartphones instead of, you know, desktops. And um, it, it allows them to be a little bit more flexible with their uh, time. So if there's a school activity at 2.30 in the afternoon, um, in our environment, it's, it's very easy to, uh, to leave work, attend that activity, and uh, pick up, make up, you know, those, those hours uh, later on at night uh, when you can. So, um, you know, this, this type of thing, um, I think it would work for some organizations, but for others it would actually put a little bit more stress and strain on it because we wouldn't be able to allow that, that same level of flexibility. Mm. Kathy Chudaba, I know you, you you look a lot at this exploding technology and how right. how it works that with the workforce. Um, it, I mean, there there are a lot of positives with this, right? You can you can work in remote teams and uh, you do a lot of things. Well, exactly, and I think Rhett hit on a very key point. Uh, the issue of autonomy. So to the extent that people feel they have some control over when they're connected and when they're not connected, that's a really nice way of being able to allow an appropriate work-life balance. Part of this is probably person-to-person, I imagine, Kathy. Um, Individual personalities. Certainly you've got individual personalities, uh, but what's also important is for people to pay attention and recognize the issues of people that they're communicating with. And so, for example, recognize that if you're not responding, whether it's to emails or that sort of thing, people who aren't physically co-located with you may Uh, assume the worst. They may assume that you're not engaged, that you're not interested, that you don't care about a given project, work assignment, or whatever. Well, it may be that in your state or in your country, a given day is a holiday. And so you're taking that day off, which is why you haven't responded. And so to the extent that you keep everyone informed so that people are on the same page to know when you're involved, when you're engaged, when you're offline, then you can deal with those misunderstandings and keep them from happening. A uh, similar thing happened to me in my personal life, I'll, I'll share. Um, I was dating uh, my wife, and uh, we had the habit of emailing back and forth every day. Um, it, but it was at, it was at work, because um, that's where you know mm-hmm. computers were, and it was, it was convenient. Um, and uh, I did not know that uh, her office generally took Columbus Day off. It never occurred to me. So I emailed, and all day I'd never got a response back. And I thought, oh, no, she's mad at me. And then, you know, I got a response the next day. So, you know, that's an example of... Exactly. We have expectations. We have expectations, and we need to be clear about what they are. Uh, so, Meredith Ferguson, um, I wonder uh, maybe a, a response to this uh, provocative comment from Inga Geerdens that I that I noted in the open to the program. She's writing on LinkedIn. I'll give the rest of the story uh, later. She says, I don't need work-life balance. I'm not looking for a way to balance my private life with my professional life. I'm just trying to have a great life. I think that would uh, be a minority <laughs> opinion. I, I th- the friends I talk to are always talking about work-life balance and, and how do you balance it, especially if you have kids. In at least the, the management area of, of academia, we have a saying, balance is bunk. Um, well, uh-huh. you know, I think okay. trying to achieve balance, um, I think that's really hard to do. And what is balance for one person may look very different from someone else. Um, I think that's where it comes down to finding the employer that um, works well for you and you work well for them. You know, some people like a lot of flexibility. Some people have a preference for kind of integrating their work and their personal lives to be able to, to take work home and get work done there. I have a lot of colleagues who, um, you know, whether in academia or other industries, work at home after the kids have gone to bed, and that works really well for them. They can be really productive, and that, you know, maybe allows them to pick up kids from school or drop them off in the morning. That flexibility is important. There are others that really like to keep work and the rest of their life separate. 
Um, they like to segment. And so a lot of it also comes down to preference and having a situation that meets your preferences. Often the stress comes from when people are um, encouraged or pressured to integrate the two work and non-work lives um, when they don't want to or vice versa. Um, you know, I, one thing that we do find is it's next to impossible, and I, and I would actually argue impossible, to, to be in two roles at once. So, like, sometimes I work um, from at home on research, and if my son comes in and I'm working, you know, writing on a paper or something like that, I can't really be in that professor-researcher role and be a mom all at the same time. It requires me to stop what I'm doing, answer his question, deal with whatever issue or problem he's having, and then go back. So it's a lot about being in that present moment. Whatever role you're in, be completely in that role. Hmm. So the, uh, one of the things I hear you saying is there's there's no one-size-fits-all rule. It has, you have to find the uh, find a company that works for you, find, uh, find the situation that works for you. Yes, and supervisors have a really big impact on that as well. Um, supervisors, you know, if you like the flexibility of being able to take work home and leave work early um, or to leave work to attend to a family issue, that's one thing that we find is, you know, organizations can have policies about work-life balance, um, but really if it's not supported and those policies aren't enacted with individual supervisors, it's really pretty meaningless. Jenna Francis, I wonder what your thought is on this. You, do you have a, yourself, I imagine, and a lot of your employees um, probably think a lot about these issues. What do you, what do you think about that? Uh, this could be a, a slogan, balance is bunk, um, at least referring yeah. to not, not, not a one-size-fits-all deal. I agree. It's definitely not one-size-fits-all, and to me it's more about flexibility than it is balance because I think the only reason balance becomes an issue is when people don't feel like they're getting what they need out of that role, and I think that a government mandate to stop work at 6 or to turn off the cell phone at 6, I know France has something similar, um, I personally think it's, it's silly because it's up to the individual and the work and, um, and, and, the, and the company, and I, don't, I just personally don't think it's the government's responsibility. And as a matter of fact, I think it will stifle innovation. Not everybody works the same. We have um, some engineers that do their best work from 6 p.m. to midnight, right? I would never want to um, stop that simply because of a one-size-fits-all rule. Um, and again, you know, a lot of our employees work here. Um, work-life balance never really becomes an issue. It's, it's more about flexibility, you know? Am I able to... Um, go to my daughter's class and um, volunteer on Halloween for a party uh, and then be able to work up that time later or not. I mean, I've worked in both environments. Clearly, I'm the owner now, and I, I have that flexibility. But um, in the past, where I've worked for other employers, where it has been 8 a.m. to 6 p.m., I yes, I could turn off the computer and go home at night, but I missed a lot of things I didn't want to miss during the day, and I would have loved the ability to be able to go and volunteer in the classroom and make it up later. And, I'm, and as a matter of fact, I probably would have done a little bit more just out of the, you know, um, just because of the ability. And, and I also, um, one thing that I keep thinking is that there's a, I think there's a big association with um, a lot of people that um, technology um, means work. And, you know, oh, I've got to turn off my phone. I've got to turn off my phone at night. But what I think people are acknowledging is, is it your email for your work that you're actually looking at? Or are you on Facebook and Twitter and social media and playing games? It's um, more, I think, along the lines of, you know, um, technology overload, I think. And, and sometimes people associate that with work because their work is paying for their phone. I, I've, I've seen that before. I think they call it techno-stress, you know, mm -hmm. um, just the psychological link between people and technology. And uh, I think a lot of people associate the fact that, oh, man, you're always on your phone, you're always on your phone, but that means you're always working. And, um, yes, you have access to your work things on your phone nowadays, between whether it be email, and sometimes some people's work is social media for the company they're working for. But I think a lot of people blend the two um, Quite often, I, I, I see that a lot um, because I think a lot of people assume that just because they are busy, that means they're working. And, and, you know, I know in our company, it's very socially charged. And so I have seen very, uh, a lot of situations where people do feel like they're working a lot um, when they're simply on social media. And so that's kind of a, a little bit off, off track, but it's, um, in my opinion, very much um, 
in line simply because of the association with the phone and work. No, I think it's very much on track. I want to direct this to Kathy Chudaba. What, what do you think this idea of uh, sometimes we think it's work stress, but really it's technology stress. Well, I think Jana is absolutely right. We see that, I would imagine, in many people's own homes, where people in different parts of the house are texting one another. People are uh, go out to dinner with friends, and people are on their phones. And what's that purpose? Is it because you've got a better offer coming, and uh, so you're thinking about something to do uh, later on, or because you really do need to be engaged in work. And that's where you get into the whole role of self-discipline, mindfulness, being in the moment. Uh, So I get a phone call and I'm at a child's soccer game and I decide to take that phone call or respond to a text right now rather than waiting an extra two minutes so that I don't miss my child making a goal. Yeah, mm-hmm. that that mindfulness and being in the moment is so critical, whether you're trying to accomplish something at work. And as Meredith said, am I focused on uh, that professor role and trying to write a paper and giving my concentration to that? Or do I really want to listen to my son when he comes in and find out what he's what's bothering him or what he needs my guidance and help with. Mm. We're taking a break. When we come back, we'll talk more about these issues, tethering, work-life balance, um, and technology. And I'll I'll want to follow up with with that uh, because I think, at least for me, technology tends to pull me away from that mindfulness. It tends to be another drag, and I have to physically, you know, I have to have discipline. I think we all have to. But how do you do that? Uh, There's an interesting quote uh, in one of these articles. uh, A a German fellow who's now living in America, uh, he says, Americans may often conflate staying late at the office with having a strong work ethic, but Germans see it as a sign of poor time management, (laughs) he says. We'll talk about that following the break. Programming on Utah Public Radio is made possible in part by our members and the 12th Annual Moab Folk Festival, November 7th through the 9th. Wind and volunteer powered in the heart of Utah's Slick Rock, featuring Richard Thompson, Kevin Welch, Ellis, and many others. Information is at moabfolkfestival.com. And USU's Anthropology Museum, Family First Saturday, exploring the cultural traditions of England. Saturday, November 1st from 10 a.m. to 2 p.m. in Old Main. On the next Humankind. When something happens beyond our control, we have to find strength and we have to find some way to deal with the emotions we're feeling then. Hospital chaplains on how they help patients handle the crisis of sometimes life-threatening illness. I'm David Freudberg. Join us for Humankind. Thursday night at 8.30 on Utah Public Radio. You're listening to Access Utah. I'm Tom Williams. In this age of smartphones, work doesn't necessarily end when you leave the office. For many, there's an expectation you should be available after hours. Uh, Germany is considering legislation that would ban employers from contacting workers after office hours. Labor Minister Andrea Nahles says there's an undeniable relationship between constant availability and increase of mental illness. Uh, they've commissioned a study, and uh, they're going to look at this at 2016. We're talking about work-life balance, we're talking about tethering, and we're talking about technology. We'd love to get your perspective at 1-800-826-1495. How do you deal with these issues? Uh, Tell us your personal story, 1-800-826-1495. You can join us on uh, Facebook, and we're on Twitter, at Utah Public Radio. Our email is upraxis at gmail.com, and we have an email from Steve that I'll get here to in just a minute, uh, talking, uh, applying this to uh, to life in the media, and specifically at UPR. So we'll, I guess we'll, we'll dish uh, behind the scenes here with some of these issues. Uh, that's where Steve wants us to go, I think. Um, but uh, I want to, to pick up the thread of conversation we were talking about before the break, and that is, uh, so refresh our memory, uh, Kathy, you were talking about how uh, Meredith was talking about mindfulness. Right. It's so critical to have that 
personal self-discipline and am I going to focus on work right now? Am I going to focus on family? Am I going to focus on something uh, personal? Certainly there has been research that says that interruption after an interruption, it takes us a while to get back in the groove, to remember what our train of thought was, what it was we were working on, and to continue to move forward. To, so to the extent that we allow email to break up that thought process to work on some problem, whether it's writing, solving an engineering problem, or what have you, all of a sudden it's taking us longer than it should. Mm. Meredith Ferguson, I wonder if you could expand on this. You talked about focus. We were talking about work-life balance, and you were talking about what matters to, to, to you is, is focus. You have to be in the moment. Right. Absolutely. And I think um, that goes back to, to your comment earlier, um, kind of about the German approach. If, if German, their, their um, perspective is if you're staying late at the office, that means you're being inefficient. And I think all that kind of lumps in with this idea that Kathy was also talking about, of being mindful, um, being in that present moment and not letting um, other roles, other distractions um, uh, take, take your focus and your concentration away. And, you know, Germans culture is um, famous for, for efficiency and things like that, and I think that's part of probably what that comes back to. Um, my family and I had the opportunity to spend some time in Europe this summer, and you don't see people in a restaurant in Europe, or at least um, Western Europe, um, everybody on their phones in, in a restaurant. You, you don't see that a lot of places that you go in public, so the culture is also very different, and I think um, the culture here to stay late and also to be seen um, at work, to be seeing putting in those late hours um, um, probably isn't, isn't that beneficial. We're not using our time as efficiently as, as maybe our German counterparts, and that does lead to things like burnout and the tremendous number of unused vacation days that Americans have. We mm-hmm. just simply don't take them. Yeah, that, that's true. By the way, this is the, the man is, I've been referring to is Thomas Kohler. He's a, a German legal expert, law professor at Boston College. Uh, here's what he went on to say. With Germans, while they're at work, they only work. You'll rarely hear the radio in the background. Uh, by the way, I disapprove of that, as long as it's UPR. Uh, but he said they consider it a sign of inefficiency if you cannot uh, complete uh, the day's work in that day. So I think there is a kind of a cultural thing. But um, uh, let me go to, to uh, Jana and uh, and Rhett, maybe first Jana on this. Um, we it, it all sort of gets confused when you're in a business like yours, isn't it? There's... Yeah, definitely. I think um, for us... I don't, I don't feel like our employees feel like they need to stay late to um, create the perception that they're working hard because if they truly did have something they needed to do that needed to happen after hours, they have that flexibility to be able to go home and dial in and, um, and do their work when it, it works for them. We've got people that come and go all day, um, leaving at 3, coming in at noon, and as long as their work is being done, it's not up to me to necessarily mandate when that is. Uh, we used to have a lot more work-at-home environments here where people did do the majority of their job at home, and I think we talked on the last show about the fact that it wasn't working so much for our culture anymore because um, we needed to collaborate more as a team, and that's that's definitely happened, but we, we, we still have the flexibility for people to make the work fit, you know, their life situation, and as long as they're excelling in their role, there's there's never an issue, but... But yeah, I think um, when people do stay late here, it's because of something they need to, need to actually do here. And I do think um, it, in some cases, it is because of poor time management. Uh, and I think usually that's up to the employee to acknowledge that, oh, yeah, I, I talked to so-and-so for an hour today in the break room, but now I'm making up the time. Hmm. Um, but again, it's something with the flexibility of having, you know, smartphones and um, laptops and access to technology wherever you are, they are able to um, take that time somewhere else if needed. Rhett, I wonder, uh, following up on that, uh, some businesses, I'm not sure about yours, some industries, sociality is very important, interacting. Creative spark happens when you're, when you're sort of interacting off topic maybe. Yeah, absolutely. I think it all kind of depends on your perspective and your role. You know, if you really love your work, then it, uh, you know, saying that you're working after hours isn't a isn't a bad thing. And 
everybody's you know personal situation is different. Some people have you know lots of hobbies and extracurricular activities and families, and others don't. And um, you know, some people find a lot of value. It feels good to be productive, and uh, being productive in work can be uh, very rewarding. And that um, you know, there's there's a lot of people at certain times in their life where they just want to really buckle down and and learn stuff, especially in the field of technology for young folks. And that um, you know, it, it's worth putting in the extra time for um, the the couple of years to you know to to have an advantage and to have to, to um, you know to get ahead in, in something that. Is, is is a pretty difficult thing, but I, like I say, it, you know, some people consider work work. Other people consider work um, to be quite fun. And here, you know, where you have, um, like you say, those water cooler conversations, I'd hate to um, to cut those short simply because you were trying to stuff all your work in in an eight-hour day. Um, when you really enjoy the people that you work with, it um, sometimes can make sense to. Uh, burn a half an hour here talking about something uh, unrelated to work while you're at work simply because you're next to each other and knowing full well that uh, you're not going to jeopardize your position because you have the ability or you have the time later that day to, uh, uh, you know, to, to get your responsibilities met. And Rhett, uh, uh, in a business like yours, there's a lot of flexibility. Um, there has to be trust, doesn't there? You, you, you have to trust your employees that they're like, – maybe you probably have benchmarks. They get their work done, but uh, – people coming and going. <laughs> yeah, tremendous amount of trust. Um, the goal for Jana and I as the leaders of the organization is to um, instill as, as much uh, metric-based accountability as possible so that um, you don't have to use kind of subjective things to determine whether somebody's working. You know, there's a, a saying called the, the parking lot mentality where you judge people's work ethic by the cars that are in the parking lot and when they come and when they go. And um, Jen and I resist the temptation to do that, uh, but we do, uh, for every role, try to uh, come up with metrics that um, that kind of establish that accountability without um, uh, a human, you know, kind of uh, micromanaging the person. The what matters to a company like us are the metrics. Uh, you can't you can't fudge the numbers. You, you know, you, the, you either get the work done or you don't, and it's very apparent when everything is digitized. So we have a, a huge advantage in that we don't have to. Uh, go out too far um, on a limb in, in terms of trust, and that um, you could abuse the system for a pretty short period of time, but but not very long. Let me uh, read Steve's email. Uh, this is uh, Steve in Arizona. By the way, you are welcome to join this conversation. Uh, love to hear your story. How are you balancing everything, especially with uh, technology, uh, making uh, everything more present? There's a lot of positives to that, but there's some negatives. Germany, uh, by the way, we'd love to get your your attitude on this, your opinion on this. They are considering banning employers uh, from contacting their employees after hours. That, of course, would be devastating to a business like Steels.com. Um, here is uh, Steve's uh, email. He says, as a listener, I'd like to hear about uh, how the employees in a fast-moving world of radio balance life at work with the rest of life. When a translator goes down on a distant mountaintop in the middle of the night, what's the chief engineer and his or her staff to do? When a story breaks at 5 in the morning, how does a reporter balance that with life away from the job? When an important public intellectual is available for an interview, but only after the end of a busy day, how does the life of a talk show host shift to accommodate? Know anybody who faces dilemmas such as these? That's uh, Steve, I think, is referring to us at UPR. Uh, so I can only respond for myself. It, it has taken and still takes uh, some adjustments. I'm, I'm somebody I've found by personality who, who needs to be disconnected. Mm-hmm. Sometimes I can't be. And uh, even... Even less of an opportunity when you're, you know, friend Weller, our chief engineer. He's when the translator goes down, he has to go. So, uh, Kathy Chudaba, first on on that, I guess it depends on the industry, uh, media. You you have to have the personality type, or you should have personality type to be able to respond. Well, it does certainly depend on the industry, but I also think it depends on whether it is an ongoing issue or a sporadic issue. And so, yes, once that uh, translator goes down, somebody's got to be ready to respond immediately. When we have an earthquake or a natural disaster, somebody has to be able to respond immediately. If you're a tax accountant, your busy time is during the first quarter, January, February, March, leading up to April 15th, and that's when you have to be focused on work. And so 
you make accommodations so that at other times, that's when you're planning your weddings or extended vacations or whatever. So you have to understand the, the rules of the job and plan accordingly. I wonder, um, Kathy, if, if you could uh, tell us about, you were telling me before we went on the air about a friend who set up some boundaries, some rules uh, about email. And yes. I don't know whether you su- would suggest these. I-, I guess you can set some boundaries if, right. if you can enforce those. Um, this is a colleague of mine in California, and he very much does not want email to rule his life. And so he has set up a norm that he responds to emails, but only after three days. I have no idea how he quite deals with the real emergency, but at least with his colleagues and work issues, he responds after three days. Well, people have learned that. They know they're going to get an answer, and they know it will be a thoughtful answer. But if you need an immediate answer, then you have to go to the telephone. Um, The other thing that uh, my colleague has done is he instills the discipline in those who communicate with him to ask pointed questions and to ask the question they want answered. So if you ask a basic yes or no question, he's going to come back with yes or no and no additional explanation. So it forces those who communicate with him to be a little bit more disciplined in their interactions. Yeah, that that was when I heard about that it was appealing to me. But of course, you have to you have to get your colleagues to go along with that. Yeah, well, they have. You have to at least be in a powerful enough position or a, a pivotal position that they're willing to work on your to, according to your rules. Yeah, Meredith Ferguson. I wonder. I'll have a follow up after this, but I wonder what you think about that. Um, I think it's a great situation if you can make it work for you. I think, yeah, I agree with what Kathy says. I um, It takes a certain level of, of power or position, I think, to make something like that work um, and, and would be very dependent upon, um, you know, the industry that you're in, the organization that you're in. And I, my guess is the vast majority of especially American workers aren't going to have that latitude, that control. But that, that issue of job control is huge. And when, um, you know, a lot of this goes back to the flexibility. But one thing we know is when people have control over their jobs, um, it has fantastic impacts on performance, um, mental, physical well-being, and family life, any and other parts of their life outside of work. Um, so if you can find ways to get that control, as, as Kathy's um, colleague has done, um, the impact can be very beneficial. I have a follow-up, uh, Meredith Ferguson, on, on this idea of tethering, which you've done some work on. Um, I have a friend who uh, who works at a place where his particular work, his employers are quite demanding the, uh, in terms of wanting him to be very connected at work. You can understand that it, this is not even outside of work. Uh, you can understand that, but, but he feels like that. Their insistence prevents him from getting work done <laughs> that he needs to get work done that day. And so he has... Uh, on his work campus, a, a particular area, which for certain reasons is is Wi-Fi dead. It's a, it's a dead zone. And he is very, he tells me he's very grateful to be able to go to that place because he can then tell his employers, I'm so sorry for this X amount of time. I'll be working on whatever it is and you will not be able to contact me. He says he feels like that drives them crazy, but, uh, but he can get some work done. Um, yeah. Yeah. Uh, it's, it, you know, it, it can become a real problem at times, even at work. Even at work, even at work, um, and those interruptions, one, one thing we also know is when you stop one um, activity that you're in and that you're focused on, a, a, some work task that takes especially a lot of concentration and focus to shift to something else, that requires resources. It requires mental resources. It may require some emotional resources. And so the more you kind of transition from one thing to the next, um, it depletes people's resources to get the work done that they need to. So um, while his employer may not like it, um, being able to go to that dead spot and focus without interruption may actually be um, a strategic use of his resources and saving those resources so that when he leaves that dead spot, he can deal with all those other issues. may make his work more effective and um, I would say probably also more efficient. Let me turn to, uh, to, to Jenna. 
Um, there at steels.com, it sounds like there's a fair no- amount of flexibility. You've taken care that employees feel like they can take care of their family responsibilities as well. I wonder, do you have any complaints of this sort that, that people feel too connected or, or are people sort of self-selecting into your industry? the individual. We've seen a little bit of everything. Um, here's one example. When we had a work from home flexibility where um, certain roles in the business did not have to come into the office um, every day, maybe once a week for an hour or two for meetings, um, we had a few employees leave the company because of that situation in that they felt like their work and home life was completely had completely turned into one thing. And um, back to you know what everyone was saying earlier is that um, you have to be where you are and and um, you can't be doing two things at once and be good at both and um, what certain people have felt is that you know man it takes me my work just starts at 7 a.m. and it, it ends at 10 p.m. because it's like I'm doing a batch of laundry while my kids jumping on me and I'm I'm taking a phone call for work at the same time and I think I think. My my biggest um, thought around you know our, our entire conversation really is it's totally up to the individual to manage their own experience because um, I I was I was horrified when we were losing this particular uh, one of these particular employees because she was she was excellent um, but we have other employees that do her same role that did her same role that instead hired a nanny during the day so that they could completely focus on work not have to take the commute not have to get ready for work in the morning. And um, and truly focus on their job, and then when they were done, they were done, and they were already home, and there with the kids, and and then there for emergencies and all those other types of things as well. So it's up to the individual to manage it. And so um, it, it's just it, I was stunned, and I, what I learned from that experience is that um, everyone needs to work in a different way. Every single situation um, is going to be different, or every single ideal work environment for each individual is completely is completely different and it, it depends on their situation and so allowing that flexibility and and putting the accountability on them for them to create their best work environment and um, and that that relies on them managing their technology as well their phone their laptop as far as how much am I willing to sit here and, and do this at different times and am I going to allow that to happen when I'm at home with my family etc cetera, etc cetera. so um, those are some of the things that I've I've been really surprised over time with before we take a break, I want to uh, uh, pose this question to Rhett. Um, we've been talking about some cultural differences, specifically Germany versus the U.S., um, and I'm, I've been thinking about this this Puritan work ethic we have in, in the U.S. Part of that is I think we sometimes take pride in just being busy. We've talked about bit, bit about that earlier in the program. But uh, part of it is, you know, a, a feeling that work is good in and of itself. And I wonder, as an entrepreneur, as, as uh, you know, running a small business, um, where where that line is between the work that you have to do and maybe a lot of work to to get a business off the ground, versus um, you know, the, the the Europeans tend to get a lot done and, and they take August off. Yeah, for you know, for an entrepreneur. Um as soon as you draw that line, uh, you're putting a, a, a pretty big barrier to your success. Um, you know, starting uh, a startup, you don't you don't get to draw lines. You have to be willing and able to do whatever it takes because you can't predict um, the workload and everything that needs to be done in the early stages. As the company matures, you start to get into a rhythm and and um, you start to have you know more participants and uh, catch more momentum. But uh, early on, uh, I can't imagine. Um, you know, uh, an entity telling me when I can and can't work that would uh, that would really stifle innovation. It would um, um, make it much harder to uh, you know to create a new business uh, compared to working for an established. We're gonna take a break. When we come back, uh, we'll have more on this idea of work-life balance. Uh, is there such thing we've been we've been talking about during the program that it's just an individual thing? And uh, how do you protect yourself from? Uh, Connectedness. Connectedness is a great thing, but it can also be a bad thing, too. Uh, Germany, and that's the, sort of the hook we're using here, the central question Germany is considering, they're studying 
uh, a, a law which would ban employers from contacting workers after office hours. Labor Minister Andrew Nala says there's an undeniable relationship between constant availability and the increase in mental illness. That's her opinion. They're going to study this. And uh, we're talking about this and related issues with Meredith Ferguson, Assistant Professor of Management in the USU Huntsman School of Business, Kathy Chudabo, Associate Professor of Management uh, Information Systems in the Huntsman School, and Jenna Francis and Rhett Clevenger, President and CEO, respectively, of UtahBasedSteels.com. More following the break. Programming on Utah Public Radio is made possible in part by our members and Crumb Brothers Artisan Bread in Logan, open Monday through Friday until 3 p.m., a wholesale retail company dedicated to crafting a selection of artisan breads and pastries using old-world techniques of preparation and baking. Information at crumbbrothers.com. Don't miss your appointment for fun on the next Zorba Pastor on Your Health. It'll be a jam-packed hour on healthy living, including this tasty recipe for... Mushroom and Greens Panini. We always have a great time. So will you on Zorba Pastor on Your Health. PRI, Public Radio International. Saturday morning at 10 on Utah Public Radio. Thanks for listening to Access Utah. Another seven or eight minutes left in the program. We'd love to get your perspective, your experience on the issues we've been talking about here, work-life balance and tethering. Uh, the number is 1-800-826-1495. You can join us on Twitter, at Utah Public Radio. We're on uh, Facebook, and you can join us by email to upraxcess at gmail.com. Uh, and uh, to, to uh, sort of... Uh, uh, close the program, uh, bring this in, uh, glide it in for a landing, the program here. Uh, let me uh, direct this first to uh, Meredith Ferguson. You've done uh, a lot of work on this interconnectedness of uh, family life um, uh, influencing work, work life influencing family life. I wonder if you could expand on that a bit uh, a bit for me, the, the influences back and forth. Well, the influences back and forth, as with, I think, just about anything in life, are, are both positive and negative. You take anything and, um, and take it to the extreme, it's going to you know, turn into a negative. A lot of what I look at is um, how behavior at work, having an abusive supervisor and civil colleagues affects um, an employee's life outside of work. Um, and so, and that, I guess, has, it's you know, somewhat related to this because the stress that we experience at work Rarely do we leave at the door when we leave the workplace. It follows us home. It affects our, our family relationships, relationships with spouses, with children, with friends. Um, one of the things I think um, I hope, would hope that your listeners would kind of take away from today's um, discussion is, you know, really we have to address this issue of being tethered to work and, and being plugged into work, you know, if that's actually what we're plugged into or, you know, whether it's just Facebook. Um, I think kind of in two ways. You have to be mindful of kind of the details of your life. Am I going to check email right now or am I going to focus on getting this report done? Um, but then brought big picture too. Americans don't use their vacation days. Um, and my father has been an entrepreneur for 45 years, and, and one phrase he u- has used since I was small and, and has stuck with me is, you have to take time to sharpen the tool. If we're not taking time off from work, Physically and mentally, we don't have time to recharge and recover. We don't have the resources to be creative. Um, There's actually some pretty new, interesting research coming um, related to when managers and employees, like, go hiking and go backpacking for two or three days. They come back phenomenally recharged. They haven't had access to their phone for, you know, two or three nights. Um, They come back more creative, more innovative. So we have to not only encourage people to not be tethered all the time, but to truly take that time to recharge and to come back and be more productive, more creative, more innovative. Without that time for recovery, um, burnout's on the horizon. Rick Clevenger, I'll go to you next. Uh, what do you think about these these, these principles that uh, Meredith's been talking about here? Yeah, I, I couldn't agree more. You, you, you certainly do need to uh, find ways to recharge. And um, the, you know, 
the, the interesting thing is that there's a lot of activities related to work that uh, blur the lines. So, you know, an evening networking event where you get fed a nice meal and you meet interesting people, you know, is that work? Uh, you are working, but it's, it's, it's not the same as, um, you know, your day-to-day tasks. And so I think that can kind of compound the, the problem in that um, uh, there's lots of different things that are kind of work and kind of not. And, again, it all goes back to your perspective. If you have the right perspective and love what you do, it typically doesn't uh, become a problem. If you're miserable in the environment in which you're at, and then um, every instance of anything even remotely related to work is going to be um, you know, perceived and, and felt as a, as a negative thing. Jenna Francis, what uh, what's your perspective on this? And specifically, maybe I'll phrase it this way: in conversations with employees, or maybe with your family, what uh, what, what those conversations go like with uh, with regard to these things? Yeah. So for me, uh, I, I'm agreeing with what's being said, but I wanted to throw out um, one um, objection to it in a way, or another way to look at it is that for me, as the owner of the business, there of course is a lot of benefit to dialing out. But in the six years that I've done the business, I can't think of more than two or three days that I've ever done that. However, um, for me, being able to be accessed in an emergency um, is a relaxing thing. So when I'm away, even though I may not be accessing my phone, the fact that it's there with me and it's on, I know that somebody's going to call me if something's going wrong. And so it's almost like... um, you know, peace of mind for me to give me the ability to not wonder. It helps me not think about it because I know that if something was going wrong, I would be informed. And um, if my phone was off and not with me, I would worry the entire time about, oh, you know, I hope everything's going okay and I really wish I knew if there was a problem or not. And um, Seth Godin, I, I don't know the exact blog post, but he, he wrote a hilarious one on this very thing in that um, – most of us actually are checking our phones to make sure that, quote, everything is still okay. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, that really resonated with me, and it's exactly, it's exactly true. But I would prefer to have my phone with me and have it be on so that I know that um, in an emergency I can be contacted so that I know that there isn't one if I'm not being contacted, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I guess there's the 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 upside of of the technology. Kathy Chitabo, we just have a couple minutes left. I have a friend who would echo Jenna's uh, statement. Uh, he he tells me when he's on vacation, he appreciates checking in because it means he can handle emergency. And when he gets back the first day after the vacation, it's you know the first week or whatever, it's not as stressful. But that goes back to what we were talking at the very beginning of the program. We really have come for full circle in that sense of control and autonomy and flexibility. I've got the phone. I know it will be there if there's an emergency. But if I look and I see I've got a call that's frivolous or that I can ignore, so long as I'm mindful, I can push that off and continue to enjoy my vacation or mini honeymoon or whatever it is that I'm on. And so it it comes back to that control and autonomy and knowing when to say when when we're connected, when we're not, when we answer a call, when we respond to an email, and when we push it off. And uh, we'll leave it there. Out of time, uh, we're all having to, I guess, renegotiate the landscape uh, and and uh, try to uh, try to uh, come to terms, orient ourselves with the new world. Seems like with technology exploding faster and faster. Maybe that's not the case, but it seems that way, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, we, we have to come to terms with these things um, uh, on a very regular basis. Appreciate the discussion we've uh, had with us. Uh, Kathy Chudba, Associate Professor of Management Information Systems at Huntsman School of uh, USU, has been with us in studio. Thank you. Thank you very much. Meredith Ferguson, Assistant Professor of Management at Huntsman School. Thank you so much. Thank you. And uh, you, you have several studies out, I guess. Uh, how would people uh, access those? Do you have a website or something? Um, several of them are, are in process. I am, okay. I am hopeful that they will be available to the public within the next several months. Okay, great. So Fingers s- crossed. Yeah, stay tuned. Uh, and uh, Jenna Francis, who is president of uh, UtahBaseSteels.com, thank you so much. Thanks for having me. And Rhett Clevenger, CEO at Steels.com. Thank you. Thank you. And uh, join us tomorrow. We're going to uh, tell some scary stories. Daniel Bishop, storyteller, will be with us. Uh, Lynn McNeil, uh, folklorist. We hope your stories as well. We're going to uh, scare each other, hopefully, uh, tomorrow on Halloween program. That's coming up tomorrow. Thanks for listening today. Mm-hmm.
This is folk singer Michael Jonathan, very proud to invite you to tune into our broadcast the entire hour, celebrating the music of Appalachian princess Jean Ritchie, including 11-year-old Ashlyn Shields. Now it's the cool of the day. All these artists celebrating Jean Ritchie on this week's broadcast of the Woodside Old Time Radio. Friday night at 11 on Utah Public Radio. Commentator, Thad Box. Jenny and I spent yesterday on the Cache National Forest, soaking in the cool beauty of a summer day on land we jointly own with 314 million other Americans. My congressman wants to take public land from us. I woke up this morning thinking about Marion Clausen, Jacob Chavitz, and Elijah Cummings, an unlikely trio of a long-dead economic scholar a brash young conservative from Utah, and an old black liberal from inner-city Baltimore. Mr. Clausen was a highly respected land economist of the last century. Elijah Cummins is the ranking Democrat in the House Oversight and Government Reform Committee. He represents an inner district in Baltimore filled with African Americans almost all living below the poverty line. Jacob Chavitz, a Utah Republican, represents a mostly white and conservative district of Mormons. His desert has wild horses and off-road vehicles stirring up dust from long-ago nuclear tests. Mr. Cummins suggested the two visit each other's district. Mr. Chavitz spent time as the only white person in meetings where black Americans are struggling like a baby to walk. Let's hope it changed him for the better. A few days in Utah certainly changed Mr. Cummins. If they continue to spend time together and break bread in each other's homes, we will all benefit. I'd like to see my representative, Rob Bishop, do something like that. He advocates taking the public lands from people like me and you and Elijah Cummins. I wonder if he's ever been where everyone else was black or female or green or gay or a Buddhist or a veteran. I wonder how many, if any, of Marion Clausen's 40 books and hundreds of papers on natural resources and public lands he has read. And I wonder if he tries to understand the science of climate change. If he wants to take public land from us, he should try to understand the people of the United States who want and use those lands. He must be able to communicate with people different from himself. Too many representatives in Washington do not respect those they serve enough to get to know them. This is Thad Box. On NPR News, it's all about the story. People can surprise you anytime. The people behind movies, books, and music. Music is like a Rorschach test, you know, and people hear what they want to hear. I'm Arun Roth, the new host of All Things Considered from NPR News, now coming to you every weekend from NPR West in Southern California. Weekend afternoons at 4 on Utah Public Radio. Coming up on the next Bluegrass Breakdown, the band was formed by four former members of J.D. Crow and the New South, quickly became one of the most talked about bands in the bluegrass biz. I'm Dave Higgs and Wildfire, Robert Hale, Kirk Chapman, Chris Davis, Greg Luck, and Phil Ledbetter will be picking and singing live on the next Bluegrass Breakdown. Access Utah is a production of Utah Public Radio. You can listen to this episode or previous episodes of Access Utah anytime at upr.org, where you can find a link to subscribe to our podcast. This is Utah Public Radio, KUSR HD1 Logan, KUSK HD1 Vernal, KUSL HD1 Richfield, KUST HD1 Moab, KCEU Price, and KUSU FM HD1 Logan. Thank you for listening to Access Utah on Utah Public Radio, service of the College of Humanities and Social Sciences on Utah State University campus. The time now is 10 o'clock.